The following audio is from the Grove Church Marysville campus. For more information about our church or to listen to previous sermons, check out our website at grove.church. Well, happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. Uh, we appreciate you immensely. You know, when Jordan mentioned a little bit ago the, the price they put on a, a mom's full-time job, and I think he said, what, 120000 And I think many of us went, it's got to be like triple that, right? I mean, come on. So anyway, uh, we're in a series called How to Neighbor. Today is part two, and... Um, uh, we're going to be in the book of Jonah in the Old Testament. It's a, it's a smaller, uh, would be considered a prophetic book from the Old Testament. Uh, so Jonah is where we're going to land. And we're actually going to go through the whole book uh, in the next three hours. So just a, a heads up there. But before we get to that, I've been fascinated by a conversation that went viral a few years ago and, and recently has resurfaced in a whole other way. And I think many of you are going to know kind of what I'm talking about when I, when I show this uh, on the screen here. So if we can get that up there. Um, anybody there? So yeah, how many of you guys know this conversation? Just raise your hands if you already know this conversation. Some of you don't. But here, here's what it comes down to. Um, it started with this, and it was the question, is it blue or is it brown? And so what I want to do by a raise of hands, how many of you guys see a brown dress? Raise your hand. Okay. All right. All right. How many of you guys see a blue dress? Raise your hands. Okay. So again, what you see is different depending on, I guess, what you are looking at or how you're seeing. So you're yelling blue. Of course. So periwinkle is another one. All right. White and tan. All right. So now what that did, though, was it created this big conversation because I think for many of us at some point in our lives, we've maybe had that thought like, I wonder if people see the same thing I see. Like when I say blue, what if they see pink but call it blue because they've always called pink blue? You know, that kind of thing. And so maybe you've never thought that. I'm a weirdo, so that's me. But now, now it morphed into another conversation that came up. And I don't remember this was like a year, year and a half ago, but it was, it was this one. And I want you to listen very, very carefully. Okay. Shh. Listen. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody remember this one? Okay. Now, by, by a raise of hands, I want to ask what you're, you guys are hearing something, but this is fascinating. How many of you guys are hearing the word Yanny? Raise your hands. Okay. A bunch of you are hearing. How many of you guys are hearing Laurel? Raise your hands. Right? Like, that was honestly like a 50-50. You know, there was maybe, you know, okay, let's go back real quick. Play it again. Okay, okay. Now, once again, how many guys are hearing Yanny? Raise your hands. Okay. How many guys are hearing Laurel? Raise your hands. What in the world? What is happening around here? Okay. Now, this has brought up a whole new one today that, that, again, it's been the last couple of weeks I've seen this one kind of go around, and I, I want to go ahead and show this one. So this one's another visual one. This is the sneaker, and, and there's a big conversation about what you see. Now, I'm going to ask you, how many of you guys see gray and like a seafoam green blue color? Raise your hands. Come on. Anybody? Okay. So, okay, some. How many of you guys see like a peach or like a pink? What in the world? That is so gray and seafoam, it's not even funny. <laughs> Honestly, I'm like, what, what is happening in here? I, sometimes I feel like this is a trick, right? Like some of you guys are lying. Okay. How many of you guys see seafoam green and gray? Okay, raise your hands. All right, we're the winners. Okay, now how many of you guys see, how many of you guys see like a pink or a salmon type color? I don't get it. 
I seriously, this is where I'm like, I am not fit to speak today. I, we're done. Go home, have a great, buy yourself some sneakers, some pink sneakers apparently. So, but isn't it fascinating? Think about it. Isn't it fascinating that, that we could literally, it's the same audio clip, but we're hearing two different things. It's the same picture, but we're seeing two different things. And there's probably others who are like, no, no, that's like purple or whatever. There's, it's so crazy to me. And I think we've all maybe, or most of us have heard the phrase, there's more than one way to skin a cat. Like, first of all, I'm not skinning cats. Nobody, <laughs> nobody should, I don't know. Why did that saying even happen? Like, why are we skinning cats? Stop skinning cats. If you skin cats, you need to go to jail, okay? Um, <laughs> Which reminds me, some of you guys didn't know this, we had somebody get baptized impromptu on Baptism Sunday, and the reason they said they came to church, if you were here for this, they said they saw an article that had to do with Australia and their problem with feral cats, and remembered like, oh, Nick doesn't like cats, I should go to church. I'm not kidding you, like, what in the world, what have I done? So anyway, but, okay, let me, let me ask this, okay, how many of you guys actually wash your cars? Like, you don't drive through and pay, and get, you wash your cars, raise your hands. Okay, now, how many of you guys have a system when you wash your car? You pull it into your driveway, how many of you pull it in facing the garage door? How many of you guys back it in? Okay, okay, how many of you guys wash starting from the top? You go roof and you work your way down, raise your hand. Yeah, seems sensible, like me, anyway, but um, how many of you guys start with, like, windows first? Anyone? Okay, a couple start with, how many of you guys just go, you know, I go geography, I go like front to back. How many of you guys start at the front and work your way, how many of you guys work your way back to front? Okay, couple, how about this, how many of you guys start with the tires? Because you never start with the tires, all right, just to be clear, <laughs> you don't do that. Now, let's talk about mowing your lawn. How many of you guys out there, you mow your lawn, all right? It's that season, you better, if you haven't mowed yet, the police are coming, all right, so... <laughs> But if you mow your lawn, we, we have different... How many guys just mow, like, whatever arbitrary, as long as it's all trim, that we're good, all right? You don't want to admit it, but more you do that than you want to say, okay, because you're... Okay, how many guys just, like, mow in, like, a circle until it gets smaller and it's done? Okay, raise your hands, all right? How many guys mow in stripes so you see the back and forth pattern? Yeah, we're a little more proud of that one. How many of you do what I do? You mow more than once so it can look like an infield of a baseball diamond, like, two different directions? Raise your hands. If you do that, raise your hands. We are buddies. I love you. You're my friend. I like that. I love my lawn to look like. It's, anyway, so, all right. Let, let, me, let me just go back to the, the point of this is not like, well, that was weird. Why did we go to church today? But here's the thing. You and I, as we're talking about in a series, How to Neighbor, as we're having this conversation, the fact is, as you drive through your neighborhood, or maybe it's an apartment complex and there's just cars parked all over and there's people upstairs, whatever, whatever it might be, the fact is, as you're driving to the place that you call home, whether you like your home, it's your dream home, or it's just a starter, or you're just renting, or whatever, whatever, the fact is, you have thoughts as you navigate towards the place you call home and away from the place you call home. And you can look across the street or you can look down the road or you can look at the vehicles and you can look at the people and have all kinds of thoughts about what's going on. But here's the thing, your thoughts may not be the same thoughts as your neighbor. Your thoughts may not be the same as the person down the street or the person who lives upstairs or downstairs or whatever. And what happens is, as we talked about last week, we end up putting people in boxes. Well, they're that type of person and they're that type of person. And yet in our series, How to Neighbor, I want to talk about this because even from Luke 10 last week, we talked about how as there was this guy, Jesus is teaching a story about this guy that was beat up and left for dead. It says that two people passed and as they passed by this guy that was literally left for dead, what they saw was a problem to avoid. 
But then, and listen to this, then the Samaritan walks by and what he sees is not a problem to avoid, but a brokenness to heal. And he does something very different than the other two. And Jesus' point in the whole story was to answer the question, and who is my neighbor? Because a guy who was trying to trap him in his language asked, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, well, how do you read it? And it was narrowed down to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and the second is like it, and love your neighbor as yourself. That you and I are called to love our neighbors. The problem is, it becomes a cute little saying where we go, how to neighbor, or love thy neighbor, or we get a bumper sticker, or we say it to somebody about it, but we're not actually living out what it means for you and I to feel that tension of, am I loving my neighbors? And we've got to get them out of our boxes. We've got to begin to see through the lens of how Jesus sees them, that as I ended the message last week, he died for them. He cares about them. Dear Lord, help us change our presuppositions, get rid of our stereotypes, deal with our history, as negative as that might be for some of us, and and let God work in us so that we can see appropriately. There's a book in in the Old Testament, as I mentioned, called Jonah, and we're going to go through the whole book. It's relatively short. It's four chapters, and I'm going to paraphrase really the the, the first three chapters, kind of, but it starts out in verse 1. Jonah is, is a prophet of the Lord. God gives him certain messages. He goes to certain cities and shares. God is pleased. God is excited. Or God is saying, repent. There's something going on, and, and he's given this word. It says, verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, Go to the great city of Nineveh, preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But, verse 3, Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. And God, this is where as we pray, we invite your spirit to help us, God, to open us up, God, to help us understand, Lord, what it means to to get rid of focusing on self, of laying down our own agendas, God, and seeing through your lens. We need that help and it's an issue of our hearts. And so God, today... We invite you to work in our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. So it literally says the Lord told Jonah to go to Nineveh. Like I mentioned, the problem is Jonah was a prophet that would typically go to the cities within their own nation, within the nation of Israel. This time he's called to go to a place called Nineveh, and that was a people group they didn't like. That was a people group full of idolatry and practices, and and they were kind of a rough, rugged type of of people, and so they were against them. They didn't like them. They knew of Nineveh. Nineveh's way out there. We're not going to have anything to do with them. They're worshipers of all these other gods, and it's a mess. Just stay away. So when Jonah is called to go to them, he doesn't want to. He's got some history. He knows what's up. He's well aware of who they are and is like, "Mm, not on my watch. I'm not going. So he goes the other direction. Now, as you continue the story, and again, I'm going to paraphrase. This is from chapters one, really through chapter three. A storm as they're out on the ship. And again, Jonah's running the way, so it's headed an opposite direction. A storm rises up. And as the storm rises up, the people on the ship are are sort of fears of higher powers. And so they're like, what is wrong? Has somebody done something? Because clearly the gods have brought this crazy storm. What's happening? And they begin to do an inventory of all the people on the ship and try to figure out what's going on. And it says that Jonah was hiding in the hole of the boat, hiding from the people that were there. So they pull him out and they begin to interview him and talk to others. And it says they cast lots 
And the lot fell to Jonah, and they go, what have you done? This storm's happened apparently because of you. And Jonah's like, oh, no. He says, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of the sea and the dry land and everything. And the people on the ship would be freaked out because this is clearly the God who would have designed this storm because that's the Lord that, that would, would make this you know, happen. So they're freaking out, and they're like, well, what, what, what do we do? And Jonah says, throw me in the water, and the storm will go away. And they're like, we're not going to throw you in the water, all right? We'll row. We'll try to figure this all out. So they continue to try to fight against the storm, and it won't go away. And Jonah's like, excuse me, throw me in the water, please. So they throw him in the water, and the storm calms down. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Jonah the Veggie Tale. Anybody ever seen it? Yeah. So in my mind, it's like, Jonah was a prophet. So what? But, but in, in, the, in the movie, he's got a British accent, so it's even crazier. But, so uh, he's in the water, and it's all calm, and the people on the veggie tail are looking out, like, there's something in the water, and there's a giant whale, like, underneath, right? And all of a sudden, like, this big fish, you know, swallows them up, and, and it's like, oh, no, this isn't good, and they're like, well, what do we do? And so, well, in chapter 2 is Jonah's prayer of repentance in the Bible. And in chapter two, somehow he's within this, this, you know, big fish or whatever. And, and there have been, you know, instances of people that have been, literally been swallowed by giant fish and somehow survived crazy stories. You can read them, but here's Jonah. And I don't know that he's like comfortable in there and there's a room and he's like, dear Lord, or it's like squishy. And he's like praying in his mind, like, I'm going to die. This is not good. But somehow he prays to the Lord again, probably maybe in, internally, but he prays and, and it's a prayer of repentance, which you can imagine would be your prayer and my prayer. Like I clearly was disobeying and now I'm in a really bad situation where I'm about to be digested. And, um, and so he prays a prayer of repentance and somehow the fish like, you know, pukes him up and he ends up on the beach and, and here he is. And, and he's like, okay, you know, what now? And he realizes the word of the Lord is go and do what I've asked you to do. And that's a whole nother message for many of us in this room. Like for us just to walk in obedience so we don't have to keep getting swallowed by big fish. Now, maybe they're not big fish, but circumstances that we keep having to face because we refuse to walk in obedience. So here's Jonah and it says that he goes to the city in chapter three, and the city, he's looking around, and it's full of idols, and, and it's just a rough place, and he gets a long ways into the city. It says a day's journey into the city, and that's where he decides, I'm going to set up camp here, and I'm going to preach the message. So he stands up and preaches a message that you need to repent. You know, the Lord says that you're doing this wickedness, and these things are going on, and you've got to stop, and he's done, and he kind of, you know, walks to the side here, and it says that the king of the city heard Jonah as he was preaching and got wind of what's going on and literally called a fast and a prayer of repentance for the entire population of the city. And so it says that they repented. And in chapter three, verse 10, it says, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. And that would be a great spot to end the book. Three chapters, we're good. But that's not what happens. And chapter four is so weird. Okay, watch this. Chapter four, verse one. But to Jonah, remember the Lord just said he relented and, and he poured out his grace. But Jonah, to Jonah, this seemed very wrong and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord. Now, let me pause right there. As we celebrated Easter a few weeks ago and we celebrated a bunch of people giving their lives to the Lord, didn't we celebrate? Like, thank God for that moment, right? And then the next week we had baptisms, baptized 63 people, and didn't we celebrate people taking steps in life change, right? Celebrate, that's awesome. So here's Jonah 
and he preaches, and this whole city repents. And what does it say he did? Yay, go Nineveh. Good job, you guys. No, no. He looked out and was like, you got to be kidding me. They listened to what I had to say? They're doing what I said? How dare they do what I said they should do? Listen, he prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from calamity. And he says it like it's a bad thing. Like for you and me, it's like, thank God for that verse. What a great verse that you need and I need every day, let's be honest. But here's Jonah bringing up this verse as if it's a bad thing. How dare you be so gracious, Lord? Is it possible that you and I do the same thing in the places we live? That, that, that something good happens to someone around us and, and instead of taking it as a reason to celebrate, we get frustrated? The point is, for you and I, listen carefully, when we're full of ourselves, it's hard to celebrate other people. When you and I are full of ourselves and our agenda and what we want and what we think should happen and what we expect and what's on our bucket list and what's on our Christmas list and what's on our future gonna do list, when it happens the way we want, if it's a win for them but it's also a win for us, I can celebrate that. But if it's only a win for them and I'm getting nothing out of it, is it possible that you and I get jaded like that? The coworker who gets a promotion, but you didn't get one? How dare they get it? Yeah, but Pastor Nick, you don't know my workplace. Maybe I don't have to. The neighbor who does a remodel and their house looks amazing, but then it makes your house look worse? Oh, man. They made the varsity team. She found love. That family got a big inheritance. They came to faith in Christ. They go to the Grove Church. I've had people tell me before, I didn't know they went here. Do you know who they are? Not saying, oh, there's someone famous or powerful, but saying, do you know what they were doing like a week ago? Do you know they're in the tank getting baptized, but do you understand what Saturday night was like? I know them. They don't belong here unless they change some things. I've had people talk to me about others like that. Is it possible that you and I get the same way? Listen, I don't know what history you might have with the people that live around you, but I would challenge you to think about something that, that, that changes the trajectory of the direction you're pointing them to, what they deserve, what they should get. How dare they? Watch, watch this. Jonah, Jonah is angry at the Lord, and he says, Lord, Lord, this is what I tried. I didn't want this to happen. He says it. So I knew you were gracious and compassionate, but, but listen, it doesn't stop there. He gets extreme. Verse three, now, Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. I mean, come on, dude. Like, I don't know if you're off your rocker, Jonah, but something's wrong here. This, listen, this is what having contempt for others can do in us. We look at Jonah and go, this guy's a nutball. This guy's crazy. But, but what if you invited the Holy Spirit to show you what's in your heart about people? You ever prayed, God, just make a move? Uh-oh. 
Now I am talking about you, aren't I? God, just send them somewhere else. God, bring me a better neighbor. Make them like State Farm, a good one. <laughs> Honestly, though, like, he's, he's, he's got contempt in his heart. I would rather die. I would rather die than have to live here. It gets stranger. It gets worse. It gets worser than worse. It gets worser. <laughs> I know that's not a word. Knock it off. <laughs> Judge me. I told you I don't belong up here today. Listen, verse four, but the Lord replied, watch this, is it right for you to be angry? Like Jonah, wake up, man. Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. Then he made himself a shelter and sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. What he wants right now is vengeance over mercy. He's waiting, going, I knew you'd be gracious, but I'm sure you're still going to take care of business. He's waiting. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. Hmm. Feels good. A little shade. Once again, though, is it possible that we get that way? We're more focused on looking at my new car and how much you love your car and you got to shine up your car and make sure your car doesn't have a scratch. And you get way more bent out of shape about how bad your car is doing when somebody actually scratches your new car and that does suck. But you care way more about that than maybe you care about a neighbor who might be going through something. I'll bummer for them. I'm going to pray for them. And that's fine. Pray for them. But if you're really praying for them, maybe God's going to say, I want you to go over there and do something. I mean, you ran down to the store to get a little pen to fix the little scratch on your car, didn't you? You took the time to go online and order it, make sure it came a couple days later and fix it so it didn't rust, didn't you? But is it possible you cared more about that than you might care about your neighbors? Why else would you and I avoid the great commandment? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Watch this. This is nuts. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Like he's trying to make it so petty that Jonah's eyes would be opened. Like it's a plant that wasn't even there yesterday. And, and watch this. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said. And I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. I get it. Like we get it. It's like a three-year-old. Are we done yet? Are we there yet? Can I get some food? Can we go? Jonah. And this is, how, this is how it ends. Watch this. This is it. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. 
And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their left hand from their right, and also many animals? The end. That's the book! Wait, 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 whoa, whoa. Did they hide chapter 5? Like, is it after the gospel? I mean, did they put it towards Genesis, after Revelation? Where is it? Because that's it! This is the end of the story. But the point is supposed to be hit home for you and for me today. Is it possible that the condition of our hearts is not as it should be so we make excuses for love thy neighbor being a cute little saying that we do nothing about? The fact is, love thy neighbor isn't gonna happen Randomly, listen, it's not going to happen when you have time and your heart is ready and they come to you because you're not busy or stressed or tired. And the reason I know that, because it hasn't happened so far. Why would it all of a sudden, everything came together now? I got a great night's sleep and I'm not super busy and I've got plenty of time to do nothing but listen to my neighbors if they come by and want to talk. It hasn't happened so far. And yet many of us are banking on it. Well, eventually, when my life calms down, because that's happened for all of that, just nothing to do. My point is this, and I'm going to wrap this up with three things. Love thy neighbor, and you may not like this, but love thy neighbor is best accomplished intentionally because it just isn't happening accidentally. Love thy neighbor is best accomplished intentionally. And I'm going to give you three things and I'm done. But, but here's a good, good way to, to, to consider thinking about the intentionality, considering the intentionality of love your neighbor. The first one is this, and it goes back to the message from last week in Luke 10, have compassion. That as a Samaritan came by, it says that he stopped all, he had compassion on a guy who was half dead. That Jesus in, in Matthew 9, when he got out of a boat after crazy, busy, nutty stuff going on, gets to the other side, and here's a crowd again. And it says that he had compassion. Everybody say, have compassion. Come on, everybody say, have compassion. So number one, have compassion. Pray for God to enlarge your heart towards your neighbors. And I am a big believer that when you and I pray simple prayers, but we mean it, God, my heart is jaded towards that neighbor or annoyed towards that neighbor or I just ignore those neighbors or whatever it might be, that if you would pray, God, here's how I feel about all these neighbors, whatever it might be, but Lord, would you do something to change that? I believe God can do miracles. Is anybody with me? I believe God can change a human heart because it happened to me. That it happened to many of us in this room that we didn't used to follow Jesus. We didn't used to care about having grace and compassion and patience and love. We were just living our lives. And then all of a sudden, because some person invited us to church or shared with us a message of Jesus, we went, well, I sure appreciate that. I must need to be forgiven. But then as we continued on the journey, we began to realize, wow, there's things about my life that aren't where they need to be. And wasn't it through a process of the work of the Holy Spirit in us over time that we look back and go, I'm different than I used to be. Anybody in here besides me? Not perfect. I don't get everything right all the time. But I can look back and go, five years ago, I'm not who I used to be back then. 10 years back, 15, 20 years, I've been serving Jesus for 27 years right about this week. I'm not the same person I used to be. 
through the work of the Holy Spirit, I believe and I encourage you to consider praying a simple prayer. God, enlarge my heart towards my neighbors. I mean, love my neighbors the way you want me to. So number one, have compassion. Number two, slow down. And I've said it this way before, because, and for me, this is just the clearest way to see it, and this didn't come from me. It's from a book from John Orberg. It's impossible to hurry and to love at the same time. It's impossible to hurry and to love at the same time. And the reason is because patience is required, and it's something that hurried people don't have. Remember, love is patient, 1 Corinthians 13. It's impossible to hurry and to love at the same time. So we've got to figure out what does it look like for me to slow down, at least in certain points of my life. It doesn't mean you scrap schedules. It doesn't mean you get rid of responsibilities and just can everything. I'm just going to slow down because you'll be in a van down by the river. But the thing is, for you and I, it's, it's realizing in certain moments we need to stop being busy and stop doing that you don't have to do. And step back from that. By the way, if you continue to live that way, bad things happen to your health. But it's impossible to hurry and to love at the same time. Everybody say, have compassion. Everybody say, slow down. And the third one is, be flexible. I want to challenge you. Here's the thing. If you live by your agenda and your plan and what you want to get done, here's what it is. You leave no room for what I, what I don't call it. I've heard it, divine interruptions. You leave no room for divine interruptions. It's not often something amazing happens because it happened according to your schedule. It just happens. Life happens. But if you would realize that what God wants to do in all of our lives is is, uh, provide divine interruptions, if only we would be in that place to hear and be prepared to have the conversation, to create the space. For somebody to interrupt you and for you to not go, yeah, I don't really have time and see you later, but to stop and to realize maybe God's trying to open a door that hasn't been opened before. I've mentioned many times, and no, I'm not the perfect neighbor, but for me, I, I love being outside and, and mowing and flower beds and all this stuff. But almost every time I'm out there, almost every time, somebody's taking a walk and we're going to have a conversation. Hey, hi there. Or one of my neighbors is out and we strike up a conversation about what's going on. Of course, in the place we live, we all hide until, what, April, and then we all come out because it's not, not dark and rainy anymore. And all of a sudden, we're like, that's what my neighbor looks like. Oh, he looks a year older because he basically is. <laughs> but it's, it's the whole thing of like, like, what does it look like for you? Look, I've got, I want, because here's what I do. I want to get this and this done today. About a week, week and a half ago, a couple of flower beds I wanted to get done, all weeded out and raked out and looking nice. And I get through about a, a half of one of the flower beds and somebody's coming by and, hey, how you doing? And oh man, it became a long conversation about their kids that go to college and where they went to college and who they are and where they came from and they moved from the peninsula and all this stuff. And, I, and there are moments in my mind where I'm like, man, I really want to get to what I need to get to. At the same time, I'm like, you know what? This is better than making sure my flower beds are clean. Sure, that's my agenda. But you know what? Maybe God had something else in mind as I got to listen to his story. And we found some common ground and I realized where they lived and that, hey, that's awesome. And, and just building a bridge with people but we've got to make room for divine interruptions by being flexible. Everybody say, have compassion. Everybody say, slow down and then be flexible. How compassionate are you when it comes to love thy neighbor? And may God help us all do an inventory of how we're living with the people around us. Jesus, today it's not the perfect three-point sermon and that's the end all. There's a lot to a conversation like this. 
But it's my prayer as, as we navigate this series that this isn't, oh, what a neat little series. Well, what a cool little deal. But instead realizing that you do challenge us constantly. And Lord, instead of love thy neighbor being a phrase that we know in our heads or we've seen on a bumper sticker or, whoa, it's in the Bible, look at that. It's actually a reminder from Jesus. Hey, you're called to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, but it doesn't end there. It flows into loving your neighbor, loving the people around you as you love yourself. It's a condition of our hearts. And I pray once again today that you would help these walls come down. Your Holy Spirit would work in us, God, to begin to see or willing to let you help us see differently, Lord, who's around us. And instead of our own agendas or our complaints about our CCNRs and that neighbor that doesn't and they never, and all that God, instead... We can lay down all of our own things, Lord, and see through the lens of you love the people around us and you placed us where we're at. We think it's by accident or by choice or whatever, but we believe that strategically you're doing something. Help us see it and obey it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Marysville Sermon Podcast. If you want to keep up with us, like us on Facebook, Instagram, or visit our website at grove.church.